0: Well, if you have your Bible, turn with me to Psalm sixty-three. Psalm sixty-three. How many of you already had turned to John six? You've gotten used to that, right? In Sunday evenings, going to John six, but Psalm three is where we're headed together. Psalm sixty-three. I just say Psalm three. Psalm sixty-three. Psalm sixty-three and we're moving to Psalm 63 tonight because I want to encourage you with what we find here and likely we'll do this uh for a couple of Sunday evenings at least this Sunday evening and then next Sunday evening John grieve uh, will be preaching to you and then the following Sunday Lord willing I will be back and uh we'll come back to this passage but Psalm 63 tonight I want I want to think about this tonight there are some encouraging things to think about. Last Sunday evening we stopped to think about what kind of evidence ought to be evident in your life if you say you're a believer in Jesus Christ. Of course we said that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you say you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you ought to be a follower of Jesus Christ. You have many examples in God's Word to follow of Jesus. And if you're a believer in Jesus, you're to be following the examples of Jesus. And what we considered last Sunday evening was that we have the example of Jesus' love to follow, to live by. The example of his compassion to live by that should shape our lives and our compassion. And that kind of actually follows closely on that the love that we have, the, the example of Jesus' love to follow. So we have his love, his compassion we also have the example of his humility to follow. We ought to seek to grow in humility, humbling ourselves first of all before the Lord and, and primarily before the Lord and his word. And then the fact that he spoke as God commanded. He he submitted himself to the Father. That's an example that we ought to follow. And, and I said that we ought to speak the truth of God's word and live, live by the truths of truths of God's word so that our lives are speaking the truth of the word and not... Teaching a false gospel, you know if you 're disobedient to god 's word and say you 're a believer and follower of jesus christ your your life is teaching a false gospel because it 's not being obedient, and so we ought to speak as God commands we ought to obey His word and speak the truth of the Word. And I also suggested that the, the that part of that is that the Word of God should shape our speech, our conduct, and our conversation, and when we have uh, loved ones or friends who ask for advice, our advice ought to be fed by the wisdom of God's Word and not the world. So Jesus spoke as God commanded, and that's a powerful example for us to follow. And then we finished with this, uh, the Lord Jesus' example of his concern for the lost. We ought to follow Jesus' example in his concern for the lost. We ought to be concerned for our neighbors, our loved ones, co-workers, business uh, people that we interact with uh, that need Christ. And so we can f- learn from Jesus' example. These are all examples of Jesus that we've, uh, we have and examples of in the Word to guide us and guide our living, guide our conversation, our thinking. And why? Why should we want to be shaped by God's Word? I suggest, and as, as God's Word teaches us, God has us here to live for His glory. And so uh, everything we do and say ought to be shaped by God's Word so that we're living for God's glory, making much of our Savior. And uh, as I noted this morning uh, in closing, uh, that's good for us, too. We'll have the Lord's joy if we're glorifying God with the way that we live. He will give us His joy, and He will strengthen us and encourage us with His joy if we're living to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ and glorify God. So tonight I want to come back to the example of the, the love of Jesus. The love of Jesus. And specifically, I want to look at Psalm 63 verses 1 through 8 for what it teaches us about how we are to love God. How are we to love God? So follow along in your copy of God's Word, and I'm going to read the first eight verses of Psalm 63, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Psalm 63 verses 1 through 8. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. So what does it look like for a believer to love God? And I thought it was interesting this morning, if uh, you were one of the guys in the men's uh, Sunday school class this morning, you heard our brother Tom suggest that somebody ought to preach a message on how to love God. And I said, tonight. I had planned that. And uh, you, you, uh, you referenced Matthew 22 and verse 27, and I had planned to do that. I think God kind of coordinated our studies this week without knowing it. And I love it when, great minds follow the same channel. You're right. We we follow the wisdom of God's word, right? And that's what I want to be led by. I know that's what you want to be led by too. The wisdom of God's word. And I love it when when God kind of sews a thread through our studies without telling us until we discover it. But so, what does it look like for a believer to love God? As we hear in Matthew 22 and verse 27, uh, when the lawyer among the Pharisees asked Jesus, which was the greatest commandment in the law, Jesus said, you remember what he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. You may hear me say this tonight, and we sometimes shorten this and say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. But the scriptures don't put it that way. It stretches it out and makes this, it kind of emphasizes this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your mind and with, um, I said with all your mind, I skipped with all your soul. With all your soul and with all your mind. We ought to be challenged by that. So what would it look like as a believer in Jesus to love God? I think it's helpful to do what we did uh, last Sunday and think about what what should your life be looking like and how uh, how should your life evidence that you say, if you say you're a believer in Jesus and you say you're following Jesus, what evidence should there be for you to find in your own life? And I make that emphasis because it's tempting for us to want to kind of look at other people's lives. And, and yes, we ought to be, I think it was Warren Weersbe said who said, along with the scriptures, that we ought to be, Christians ought to be fruit inspectors, because we ought to be looking for fruit in each other, but we ought to be looking for fruit in our own lives first. And so I challenge you to be looking for fruit in your own lives first. And as you look for fruit, that's important, but it's not only about seeing whether you're obedient to the Lord, it's also about loving God. So are you loving God? And I don't want to miss this and how important it is, and so I asked that question what would it look like as a believer in Jesus to love God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind? Look at verse 1 again, Psalm 63. The psalmist says, O oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you, my soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So what is it to truly love God with your life? What is it to love God with the way that you live, with the way that you think? Note that in David's words, he's the psalmist here, David's words are words of thirsting and longing for God. Of course it's uh this time of year when we really notice our thirst more than more than in those winter months, right? And if you especially are outside working in the yard or working around the house and and it's a warm day, you're going to discover you're thirsty and you're headed to the kitchen for a glass of water quickly. David uh said that he was thirsting and longing for God. That's the kind of imagery that we have here this thirsting that we get when we, when we exhaust our, our, uh, our resources of hydration and we need to be hydrated and we feel it, right? You feel it, maybe you feel it first in your mouth. It can actually get so serious, your body tells you, it might give you some serious signs that you're dehydrated, right? The Psalm of David that we're looking at was written when he was in the wilderness. I wonder if he was, had gotten thirsty at times and thought about that as um, as he wrote this. Uh, this could have been a time uh, that we see in 1 Samuel 23 and 24 when King Saul was pursuing David, trying to take his life, trying to kill him. Could have been about that time. Or it may have been when David fled Absalom, his son. Now seen in 2 Samuel 15, but the text doesn't really tell us. That's really not the important part. The important part is what David evidences from his own life that he was thirsting and longing for God. What it does show us here is a picture of the barrenness that David paints in verse 1, which is contrasted with a picture of bounty in verse 5. Uh, skip down to verse 5, where he says, My soul, Here, compare verses 1 and 5, My soul, he says in verse 5, will be satisfied As with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. So how do you love God? How do you love God? Let's begin here. Do you have the kind of longing for God which David describes in verse 1? Do you recognize that in your life? That you are thirsting and longing for God. His soul thirsted for God. His flesh, he says, longed for God. And here's the, here's the point. He, he knew in the depths of his soul that he needed God. He knew he could not live life without God. The very words that begin this psalm are important for us to note. Now look at it again at verse 1. David says, O oh God, you are my God. I appreciate uh, commentator Matthew Henry what he says about this passage. He says, In all our addresses to God, we must eye Him as God and our God. And this will be our comfort in a wilderness state like David was in. We must acknowledge that God is that we speak to one that really exists and is present with us when we say, "O God, which is a serious word. He says, pity it should ever be used as a byword. And we must own his authority over us and propriety in us and our relation to him. You are my God, he says. Mine by creation, and therefore my rightful owner and ruler. Mine by covenant and my own consent. We must speak it with the greatest pleasure to ourselves and thankfulness to God as those that are resolved to abide by it. Oh God, you are my God. What a good challenge that is. Um the culture around us treats that that little phrase, Oh, God, very flippantly and very lightheartedly. In, in fact, you'll hear people say uh, things like, Oh, God. And they're not praising God. They're making an explanation, exclamation and um, I would suggest they're using God's name in vain when they do so. We ought not do that as believers. That's what... Matthew Henry actually points to, that it ought not become a byword. Think about that. I appreciate his emphasis on the fact that God, we need to, we need to consciously remind ourselves at times, don't we, that God is present. He is here. It's, it's hard for us because we can't see him. But God's word is true here. He is here. He is among us. And we ought to say, as David said, Oh God, as we humble ourselves before him, you are my God. If you're going to love God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, you need to understand, as David did, that God is your God. He's your God. He's a personal God. Isn't that great? Isn't that wonderful? I mean, we can't really uh, describe how wonderful that is in human terms, can we? But we need to realize it. We need to understand it. We need to Seek to understand it more as we read the word that God is our God. He's our God. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ, you have a relationship with a real and personal God. That's wonderful. God isn't some aloof deity who, who has removed himself as if he's, he's only in heaven. God isn't only in heaven. It's not like He's somewhere far removed from us. God is a personal God. And He cares about you. And He knows what's going on in your life. He, he's with you wherever you are. Uh, think about that. God, God was with David in the wilderness. He cared about David's needs. And God was with you. Uh, whether you find yourself in a wilderness time or a time of plenty... God is with you. Those who call themselves atheists may deny God's existence. Those who call themselves agnostic may wonder if God exists, but it doesn't matter either way because God does exist. And He is a real, loving, and personal God. God truly does exist. And if you're going to love God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind... If you're going to love God with all that you have, all that you call yours, all your strength, all your gifts, the things that God has gifted you with, your talents, your abilities, if you're going to love God with everything you have, you need to understand that He is real, and He is your God, and He is with you wherever you go. How encouraging that is, isn't it? And what an encouraging and wonderful and powerful truth that is when we remember that at our most needful times. He's with you in every situation you face. God is there when you're healthy. God is also there when you're not healthy. God is there when you're sick. He's there when you're facing difficulty. And God is there when things are good, when you say, hey, everything's good, and somebody says, how are you doing? And you say, great. God's there. At that time, when you're saying God is great, don't forget that. It's easy to forget that when things are great. And then we wonder, where's God when we're struggling? Well, He's there in both times. God is there when you're lonely. He's there also when you're surrounded by people who love you. God is with you. Don't ever forget it. Remind yourself of that. If you want to love God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, then say with David, Oh God. Take this passage to heart. Oh God, you are my God. Don't just echo what David said and read it as if, well, this is just David, the psalmist, saying this. This is what God wants us to recognize. Oh God, you are my God. And take that to heart and understand that whatever you're doing, wherever you are, Whatever situation you face, God is there with you. And since God is there, you must not ignore Him. Do not ignore God. Do not allow yourself to be convinced by the deceiver, Satan, that God is not there. He is there. And do not ignore Him. Once in a while, a long time ago, when our youngest son, Josiah, was about two years old, occasionally, uh, when I would be either studying at the computer or something like that or doing some other work on the computer, he would. I just remember he would come and he would stand beside me in my chair. He'd just come and stop and stand. I don't know if he had maybe a pacifier in his mouth or a blanket in his hand or something like that, but he would just come and stand there. And usually I would take advantage of that opportunity when he was there and he just stood there. I would grab him and put him on my lap and just sit with him until he started to squirm and wanted it down. Because if I didn't, He would quickly be off to go do something else. But I always thought it was interesting. He would just come and stand beside me. I loved that. And I love him. And we have a special relationship because he's my son and I'm his father. That's how it should be with you and God. You want to be with your father. You want to be with your heavenly father. You want to be in His presence, and you can do that through prayer. You can do that with the Word, and you can do that when you realize that His Spirit is in you. You realize that He is near, and He is your God. And loving Him with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, you ought to say with David, Oh God, You are my God. And if you do, you'll know the truth of those words in every situation in your life when you remind yourself of that. You need to practice reminding yourself of that because when you're, uh, when you're in the depths of difficulty, you need to be reminded that God has not left you alone. He's with you. He is there. We also need the reminder when things are going well that God is there and He is at work. It's not, it, it's not all because we've orchestrated some great events in our lives that we've come up with and, and we've produced some, some great day. Well, God is blessing us with a good day as we would say, having a good day. Realize that God is there. Oh God, you are my God. So I would say and suggest and encourage you if you're a believer in Jesus, are you seeking God earnestly? That's the next phrase in verse 1. Earnestly I seek you. That's how it should be with us who say we're believers and followers of Jesus Christ. Are we earnestly seeking God? Earnestly I seek you is also important for your understanding and how you should love God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Uh, The idea here is that there's a, a deep sincerity, a deep sincerity in David's seeking after God. He is deeply sincere about knowing God. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. Uh, there might be things in our lives that we would say, oh, I'm earnest about that, or I'm, we might use the word instead, I'm serious about that. If you're serious about some things in your life that don't have something to do with knowing God personally and knowing that He is your God, then I would suggest that you add, add to the things that you're serious about seeking God. Seek Him. Know Him from His Word. If you're a believer in Jesus, are you seeking God earnestly, like David said he did? If that's true of you, then you'll be eager to talk to God. You know that privilege that we call prayer? I I sometimes think that we forget that that, that can be an ongoing conversation throughout the day because God is with us <laughs> all the time. If you're alone for a while, if you're used to being around people and you're alone for a while and uh, you kind of miss being around people that you like talking to, you like speaking to. It ought to be that way for, uh, for you with your relationship with God. If you haven't spoken with God uh, for a time, you ought to miss that. You ought to hunger for that. You ought to notice it in your life, that I haven't, I haven't spoken to God yet, and I need to speak to my Father, my Heavenly Father, who loves me, who's with me. Oh God, you are my God, earnestly. I seek you. Uh, One of the ways you can earnestly seek after God is to open your Bible and learn from God's Word. Read God's Word. Let it saturate your heart and mind and soul and change your thinking, change your living. Another way you can seek after God is by being with God's people. Uh, Gather together with with God's people. We shouldn't only gather with, with God's people. I don't think we should separate ourselves from the world because the world needs to hear our witness. And so you may have unbelieving friends, and that's okay. And you ought to love them like Jesus loves you. And you ought to look for those opportunities that God gives you when he opens doors for you to share the gospel with him. But you also ought not neglect being with God's people. You desperately need to be with God's people to see clearly who God is in your life and how he has blessed you and how he's encouraging you through the fellowship that you can have with God's people as you get to know each other and you begin to bear one another's burdens as the scripture says and you pray for one another and you, you seek to encourage each other and, and God forbid if any of us should stray from the word that one of those loving, godly people that you befriended in the church should come along beside you and, and uh, give you a hug and say look, you need to start doing what's right You need to start doing what's right. Uh, Think about who you like to spend the most time with in your life. Isn't it the ones you love the most? Uh, We were headed to a wedding yesterday, and we knew that we were going to see some of our kids and grandchildren. And um, I don't know, for us, it wasn't about the wedding as much as it was seeing our kids and our grandkids. It It was a good wedding, and it was wonderful to see a young lady we've seen grow up who loves the Lord, marry a godly young man, and that was wonderful. But, I don't know, the highlight for me was to get to see my, my kids, especially my grandchildren, just for, just for a few minutes, just for an hour or so. People you love to spend time with, they're the ones you love the most. A good self-examining question to ask yourself was this, is it, is it my deepest desire to make time to spend alone with God? Make time not look for extra time, but make time to spend alone with God. Is it my deepest desire to do that? If I fail to do that in a day, do I notice it and do I realize it? Um, but if you love the Lord uh, and you don't spend time with Him, you should notice it. You should feel it in your, in your soul. You should feel it in your, in your life, in your daily life routine well God's word challenges us doesn't it so it's good to ask those self examining questions of yourself like that one is it my deepest desire to make time make time to spend alone with God in prayer in his word am I eager to be with God's people when I have opportunity to be with God's people as in as in, we go to church together, and, and there were times like uh, time like last night when Etrasque had us over, and, and those of you who are able to gather enjoyed a time of fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Am I eager to spend those times with church family so we can encourage each other in our faith and realize that we're not alone in our walk with God? Oh God, you are my God means that uh, you have brothers and sisters in Christ. And you ought to long to spend time with them. Are you eager to do that? Are you eager to worship with God's people? You see, it's not just about, well, we look forward to, to times of food together, right? And those are kind of highlights when we get together and we have food. And um, I look forward to those times too. But you know what we ought to look forward to even more? Is worshiping together. Uh, opening our Bibles together. Uh, Opening our mouths to sing songs together, whether or not we can carry a tune is not important. It's the words that we declare as we sing together. It's the one thing that we can do in unison, singing, as we sing the truths of God's Word. That's why it's important the songs that we sing be biblical, right? So if you love God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your mind You'll earnestly seek the Lord because you thirst and long for Him like David did with all your heart. You'll you'll thirst and long for time in the Word. You'll thirst and long for time with God in prayer. You'll thirst and long for time with God's people, your brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, Note next that David wasn't content with only a deep longing for God. He acted on that deep longing for God and he did something about it. He sought after God. Note in verse 2 how David has a desire to behold God's power or, or to see God's power at work. Verse 2, So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary beholding your power and glory. So what is it to truly love God with your life? with the way that you live, with the way that you think, the way that you do your work. In David's words, it's also that beholding of God. That's paying attention to what God is doing. And asking God in prayer, it's, a, it's a, a worthwhile prayer to ask God to help you be aware of what He is doing. He won't show you all that He is doing because you wouldn't totally understand all that He is doing. You couldn't keep up with all that He is doing. But you ought to long to see to have eyes, biblical eyes, to see more clearly what God is doing. And to behold how mighty and powerful your God is. Oh God, you are my God. Why? Uh, because you're a mighty God, and powerful God, an awesome God. Beholding God, David says, I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding what? Your power and glory. The Hebrew word for sanctuary here points to the sacredness. It kind of points to this idea of the sacredness and holiness of God. David says he's seen the power and glory of God. God is a holy and powerful God and is full of glory. And so God is completely worthy of your love and your dwelling upon him, dwelling upon who he is, thinking about who he is that's as much preaching to yourself as anything else as pre- reminding yourself of who god is so that you will not forget when you need to know it most you know sometimes we say we say we love things you know we we look at things around us and we say oh i love that sometimes the objects of our love aren't worthy of that but god is completely worthy of that Sometimes our affections are misplaced on temporal things that will not last, and we kind of give un- undue energy and attention to those things that will not last. There are things that we choose to love that really don't deserve our love. We may love I and mean, we may be tempted to love our homes, the houses that God has given us, or maybe other possessions that we have, or maybe maybe we would place love for certain people in our lives over love for God. But God is completely worthy of our first love. Our primary love. That we would love God with our heart. With all our heart. And with all our mind. With all our soul. With all our strength. You know, love for one who's worthy of love is never wasted. You're never going to waste your love on God. He is worthy of all of your love and all of your attention. And if you behold God like David did in the sanctuary... If you pay attention to God's Word and you seek God's greatness and if you recognize and and see His power and understand that He is a powerful and mighty God and seek to recognize His glory on display all around you, uh, you, you're going to want to love Him with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. God is certainly worthy of that kind of love. So we ought to seek to grow in our thirst and longing for God. Are you thirsty for God, oh God, you are my God. Are you thirsty? Are you longing for God? We ought to want to behold him in his power. We ought to want to behold him in his glory. And one way you can see that, if you're wondering, what does that mean is to behold God's power and glory? Look around this room and see people who, who once were dead in their trespasses and sins whom God opened their eyes and drew them to himself, and they became aware of who Jesus is and put their faith and trust in Jesus, and he, he saved them. I hope that's you. Saved them and made you his own. You look around at God's people, that's one way, and one primary way, this side of heaven, that we can see God's power and his glory on display. That he would save Anyone. None of us deserve to be saved from our sins, but God is gracious and loving God. And God is certainly worthy of that kind of love that we ought to give Him. So we ought to seek to grow in our thirst and longing for God. We ought to want to behold Him in the power and glory that's His and His alone. And we ought to long to recognize His power at work all around us. You know, when you see people who are being changed by the power of God's Word, by the work of the Holy Spirit. That's the power of God. That's the glory of God on display. When you seek to grow in this spiritual discipline of seeing God for who He is and recognize His presence and power, you won't be able to help but love God. And you'll want to love God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. When you see someone who's given their life to Christ, who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that's God's power and glory on display. You ought to rejoice in that. You ought to long to see, see that. You ought to long and, and pray for that to happen. While well, we can still uh, we can do still more to shape our lives so that we love God with all our heart and with all of our soul and with all, all of our mind. There's more here in Psalm 63 and we're going to pick it up Again, in a couple of weeks, Lord willing, but as we prepare to go our separate ways tonight, may God's Word instruct us, and I want to challenge you and encourage you, may God's Word challenge you to love God from the bottom of your heart this week. Look at your life and think about what that means for you. What kind of attention are you giving your God, O oh God? You are my God. Will you say with David, earnestly I seek you, my soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. May God's word instruct and challenge us to love God from the bottom of our hearts this week so that our lives will glorify Him, so that the way we live is making much of our God, who deserves to be made much of, and so that we will know His joy. I encourage you, and challenge you with that tonight.